ready to get in the Word? Would you open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, and would you stand with me as we read the Word and honoring God's Word? Uh, if your device or whatever it is, I hope you have something you can follow along with. I'm in the New King James Version. Maybe you have different ones, but they're not a lot different, so I think we'll just be fine. So, beloved, he says, verse 11, 1 Peter 2, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to the governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, And for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using your liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if, because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you are called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, Nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. So, Lord, we we understand that we need you, and we need your word. And when we read passages like this and these difficult things that are being addressed, how we need the wisdom that comes from above, how we need truth to sort of saturate all the sort of crevices of our minds and thoughts and opinions and all those kinds of things, that you might prevail over our hearts with the truth, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we can actually live these things out. So I pray your blessing over the things I prepared. We ask, Lord, that you give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, that you would bless this time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So I can't remember the exact day when I first wrote uh, across the top of my to-do list. Every every morning I have this this pad, and I write on the... uh, uh, I transfer the last day over, and I write something on the top that I want to be thinking about. And so I don't remember how many exact day I started doing that, but I want to give you this morning three words that I've been writing for probably 60 days or something like that, that I've been trying to think through. And this passage now that we're in, I want to share them with you. So writing these three words, I want to offer, I'm offering them to you this morning, that they might be a hope for us as the church 
to gain a unity in our hearts as to God, government, and the gospel. Now, the tensions among Christians are palpable. The arguing and divisions are painful. This is us asking God for the wisdom that comes from above. James says, first pure, then peaceable. Willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now, the fruit of righteousness, James said, is sown in peace by those who make peace. So when I look at that last little phrase, you go, what does that mean? What it means is it's a process. There's the sowing and sowing that brings forth fruit that honors God. So this is us asking God for humility of mind and patience of love toward one another, knowing that he, God, has allowed the things that have been going on and always has been that. He's allowed these things for our growth, for our good, and to his glory. Can you say amen? So we're not going through this thing without God knowing exactly what's going on, exactly what he's allowed, and he knows exactly what we need in the course of events, whether it's daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, or along our lives. He's working always. doesn't matter where you live. God's doing a work in your life, my life, and he's going to continue that work, and he's going to, the Bible says, he's going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, that's hope, but we must engage in that. So before I give you these three words, which are not God, government, and the gospel, okay, before I give them to you, I want to read just two more, what I would call these close friends of this passage. They're sort of Bible buddies talking about God, government, and the gospel. And the gospel. So I just want to read through them. I'm not going to dissect them. I just want to read them that we might take them in a little bit this morning. God's word in this area of God, government, and the gospel. So Romans 13, many of you here know that that's a key passage when we talk about these things of the government. So let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. It's a good thing to hold on to. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Now notice, for rulers are a terror to are a not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you, notice, for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So just take those things in. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Grumble, grumble. <laughs> You also pay tax, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God's. The other passage is found in Titus chapter 3. Now, this is a little longer, but, and it has some other things that are attached to this, this uh, the context 
is in rulers and authorities. So let's read Titus chapter 3. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for, notice, every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were once foolish. This is one of the ugly lists. We were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy. Notice, hateful and hating one another. But, here's the big, one of those big buts in the Bible. But, when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared to men, not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. So put yourself right in that place. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according according to the hope of eternal life. Now he goes on. This is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful, here is again, to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Reject the divisive man at the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. Again, I'm not going to dissect these things, but I will point out some important words. Be subject. All three passages. Be subject. Be submissive. Obey. Kings, authorities, governors, rulers, ministers. Now, there's also these contrasting words like good and evil. By the way, you know there are both. Of doing good and evildoers, there are both. Of practicing evil, the contrast, maintaining good works. So we are called to this place as believers to keep on keeping on in doing good works. So the first word I want to give you that I wrote across my, I wrote across this and I still do, is the word conscience. Conscience. I'm going to spend the bulk of my time sharing with you this morning in this area. Conscience. Verse 19. This is commendable if because of conscience toward God. So first and above all other things, I am a Christian. I'm a Christian. And so as a Christian, my conscience toward God is seeking to be able to understand what's commendable before God. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? What's the, what, and so when you, th- when you the, the best description of a conscience I ever heard goes something like this. The conscience is this three-pointed triangle in your heart, my heart. And when you do good, when I do good, it sits still. But the minute I'm doing wrong, it starts to turn. And it hurts. 
That's the conscience. But if I keep on doing wrong, it keeps spinning and it's, it wears down the points so that after a while, it doesn't hurt anymore. The best description I've ever heard of a conscience. There's the pangs of conscience. So our conscience in the Greek New Testament means with con knowledge, science. It's with knowledge. It is a gift from God to be able to decide and discern between good and evil, what is wrong and what is right. So it's like an arbitrator that compares an action with a standard. That's the conscience. The standard is God's word for us as believers. It's like an umpire. Ball, steer right. <laughs> That's the conscience. It's like a referee. Uh, out of bounds. Out on the line. That's the conscience. It's working in our hearts so that we begin to discern what is good and what is wrong or bad. Now, the word conscience, interesting to me, is not found in the Old Testament. The word that would be in Hebrew would be the heart to some manner. So we read in 1 Samuel, it happened after that David's heart troubled him because he cut off Saul's robe. Now, that's a whole story in and of itself. But David had a good conscience. And if you read David's life, you realize this guy was sensitive to the Lord. Even in matters of a man, King Saul, who was trying to kill him, he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't lift up his hand against the Lord's anointed. So his heart, it says there, troubled him. Asaph in Psalm 73 said, Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. That's conscience. So if that's happening for you. Now, a good conscience directs us in obedience to God. What does that look like? Honorable conduct. Doing good. Godly submission. And get this one, a willingness to suffer because I'm being obedient to God. Now, Peter's going to talk a lot more about that in following studies. Suffering. This is why we must give attention to the pangs of conscience. To the conviction of the Holy Spirit as believers. When the conscience becomes defiled, and by the way, it will, there's no one who doesn't sin. When it becomes defiled, God has provided for the cleansing of our hearts, of our conscience, through the blood of Jesus Christ. How many would say amen? We have a place to have our conscience cleansed. To have our minds cleansed, to be right again in the place where I can begin to operate once more in serving the living God. God's remedy is twofold. Probably more than that, but basically 1 John says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we call God a liar. So the Holy Spirit and the conscience God's given to us is pointing out to us when we need to get it right with God. Hebrews. We write, he, he wrote there, If the blood of bulls and goats and the ash of a heifer sprinkling unclean sanctifies the purifying of the flesh, external, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself to God without spot to God, Cleanse your what? Conscience from what? 
dead works to serve the living God. So there's the, what God's remedy is repentance, confession. It's also to apply the blood by faith to that sin, to that wrong. Find forgiveness from God, but there's a, another part of it. Then we have to get back serving God. So it's important that we confess it. It's important that we are bringing these things to God, but then that should lead us once cleansed to back to serving what? The living God. No more the externals, blood and bulls and gold. None, none of these things that really we can do outwardly, but they don't have any bearing on what's going on inwardly unless we allow it honestly before God. And 1 John says that. We've got to walk honestly with God. We have to say, okay, what's going on here? And that is one of the hardest things that we have that we were called to do, is to examine ourselves. Do you not find that difficult? It's hard to assess it many times, but the word of God is living and powerful. I'll talk about that in a minute. So God's prescription is to apply and return. Apply and return. Apply the blood of Jesus Christ and return to serving the living God. Apply the blood, return to serving. Get it right and then seek to live without doing that wrong again. So a conscience can become evil, even seared, the Bible tells us, cauterized beyond feeling. That can happen. In other words, it stops hurting. It's not working. It's been seared like a, with, with a hot iron. And if that's scary to you this morning about your own life, I would say that's a good thing. Because if you're afraid of it, you haven't. Seared it. There's still something there that's sensitive to understanding your need, my need for the cleansing and getting straight with God, my, my heart. It's like the, some people fear they've committed the uh, impart, unpardonable sin. Like, I've rejected Christ. I always tell them, well, are you afraid you've done that? Yeah, I said, then you haven't. Because if you had done it, you wouldn't care. You're here this morning because you care, because you want these things. So I want to encourage you as far as this whole thing. Yes, our conscience can become evil, have evil things pass through our minds and hearts. There can be that sense that, man, I don't even really care anymore. But may I say to you, you're here. You do care. You want to know. You are online, the same thing. As we're coming to put ourselves in the place to hear God's word, to read God's word, to memorize God's word, what we're saying is we want to hear the truth. We want to know what God says about these things. And it's difficult. It's painful many times. It's almost impossible. That's why we also need the fellowship of the saints. Now, we can have that. The, the, the word of God is a mirror. The fellowship of the saints is our family. And we need those things in order to make sure. Now, the, the first word is conscience. I, above all else, I'm a Christian. You, many of you here are Christians. I hope all of you here are Christians. I hope all of you that are watching online are Christians. So I'm not knowingly sinning against knowledge. Against the knowledge of the truth. I'm not continuing to practice sin knowing that I live in the presence of God. I'm not knowingly deceiving myself. My heart can deceive. I'm not knowingly deceiving myself. Or, listen, being deceitful with other people. I know my tendencies to react out of hurt, pride, selfishness. I know very well what it means to take things personally. Feeling rejected or disrespected. 
And I asked the Holy Spirit, please, would you tap my shoulder? Say, hold on a second. Be slow to speak right now. Quick to hear. Let me take the things that are beginning to get you in a reactionary mode. And let me settle you just a moment in the peace that I can give you to think through what's going on. And to let the Holy Spirit begin to guide the conscience, what I'm thinking, and bring light in these areas that are there for me. And some of, you, some of these things I know are there for you also. It's hard. It's difficult. So conscience means with knowledge, knowing with the truth. Where does that begin? It begins with believing the truth of the gospel. This conscience as a believer understands the gospel and what happened there. Understand our greatest need for forgiveness from God and justification through faith and the mercy that God offers through the gospel. That's the place of cleansing and new life. So first, this whole thing of knowing with the truth is to believe the truth of the gospel. Secondly, know the truth of the word of God diligently. You've got to know the truth of God diligently. You've got to give yourself, I have to give myself to being saturated with the word of God. Because the word of God, as I said before, Hebrews, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Many times it's a rest of conscience. Lest anyone fall according to the same example of what? Disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, uh, piercing even the division of soul and spirit. Interesting. Something we can't discern without the Holy Spirit. The word of God discerns that. Notice, and of joints and marrow, and is discerner, of notice, the thoughts and intents of the heart. We need the word of God. If our conscience is going to be spinning right or not spinning at all, we need the word of God. So how do we operate? We must know the word of truth diligently. We must know, we must trust the spirit of truth that is in you, in me. And Jesus said when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he is going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then he's also going to be dwelling in you as believers, and he will guide you into all truth. He will show you these things. Are you not thankful for what Jesus called the helper? The helper. I'm going to send to you the helper. It's one of the same kind. So here are the disciples walking with Jesus every day. How would you like to be with them? Oh, I'd love that. And you talk about someone who discerned truth. <laughs> he is the truth. So they're walking with him every day, and he's dealing with their, the, all the stuff that's going on there. And now he's going to ascend into heaven. He says, it's, it's better that I go to heaven because if I don't go, I'm not going to be able to. But when I go to heaven, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he, Jesus said to them, he is with you right now before the crucifixion. He will be in you. He's speaking about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. We're, he's the guarantee of our inheritance, the redemption, the purchase, possession. The Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Godhead, dwells in us to guide us, to help us. That's what he's called the helper. And so we have to trust the truth, the Holy Spirit of truth. Would you say amen? That he is not some sort of out there distracted while I go about life. He lit, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
And we must trust that he will guide us into all truth. And he is guiding us into all truth. And we must, I think many times it's just a matter of acknowledging again how much we need to trust the spirit of truth, to know that we have the helper, the third person of the Godhead. And then here's one. We must speak the truth in our hearts and speak the truth in love. That's the truth that bears on our conscience. To speak the truth, Psalm 15, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteous and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. He's, he's dealing with a little, some of these same issues. Ephesians 4. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness in which they lie in wait to what? Deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things in Christ Jesus. So what God has given to us as a family is that we can grow up together. How? Speaking the truth in love. And then that edifies, builds us up, joins us together in this march to victory through Christ. Second word is the word constitution. Constitution. Not only am I a Christian, I am a citizen of the United States of America. And I am proud to be a citizen of the United States of America. As a Christian, I am to be a model, Christ, a model citizen. As a Christian, I am not above the law. Paul the Apostle, this is interesting to me, Paul the Apostle knew his rights as a Christian and citizen of Rome. What did he do with those rights? He corrected the Roman authorities. He delivered himself from the hands of the Roman authorities because he knew what came with the citizenship. He used those to spare him any more punishment at the hands of the authorities. He actually called the authorities to account for their unlawful things. Verse 13, therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. That word ordinance is an important one to understand. It means institution. So it is not the word used for individual laws, mandates. It's those institutions that make the laws. So the purpose of governmental authority is to punish wrong and reward right. The purpose is to punish evil and to praise good. I'm going to leave you this question. I'm not going to answer it for you. What do I do when it's just the opposite? How do I handle that? What do I do with that? This is a matter of conscience and citizenship. For you as a believer to seek God for his answer to your conscience. We are to be subject. We are to respect. We are to honor these institutions. 
There may be times when we need to disobey some law, some mandate or ordinance for conscience sake. But we can still submit by honoring the institution. Now, how do we do that? Daniel and his three friends did exactly that. They refused to obey the king's dietary regulations. They disobeyed the law, but the way they did that proved that they were honoring the king and respecting the authorities. They were not rebelling in that sense. They were careful not to embarrass the official in charge or get him in trouble. And yet, for conscience sake, they had to stand their ground. They glorified God and yet at the same time honored the authority and the king. The same can be said of Peter and, Peter and John respecting authority in the book of Acts. They disobeyed the command because it was against the command of the higher authority, that is God. So they said, we cannot but speak the things which we've seen and heard. God told them to do that. We said we ought to obey God rather than man. That's what they had to do. That was a conscience issue as a citizen, as a Christian. Now, it may be that I, as a Christian, must step away from a law. When it conflicts with my conscience, I can do no other. It may be that I will have to suffer for that. But as a Christian, I must endeavor to do that with honor and respect of the institutions. When we remodel this building, there are a lot of processes in permits and blueprints. And we went through a lot with that. Until finally one day they were, we could start remodeling. And then as we remodeled, we had to do it according to what the governing authorities talk about as far as building, all the things. And it's not like I liked them all. I didn't. And I've been in construction a long time. I built a lot of houses. I built, I've fixed a lot of structures. I know the process, what goes on there. But I found that if I'll respect them as the authority, if I'll honor them, that for the most part, I don't know if I had any time really, but for the most part, they were very helpful, very willing to go through those motions with me. Now, one day we got the thing signed off, here we are. Now we're in here. May I say this to you? Their authority stopped the moment this building was given occupancy. The minute my house was, my house that I built for us, the minute that they were signed off, that's now my house, they have no authority there. So if they come in and start telling me how to raise my children, they have no authority there. If they come in here and tell me how what I should be saying from the pulpit, they have no authority in that. Because I have a higher authority, and it's God. And so they may suggest things, which is fine, but as far as their authority, it stops at the threshold. Now, again, I would have to say you're out of bounds. That's not the constitution under which I live. But more important, the God whom I serve. Our constitution is our governing authority. America is a constitutional federal republic. 
As such, we are very unique. Now, I'm no expert in this at all. We, the people, are actually the governing authorities. And we hire others to do what we tell them to do. That's the uniqueness of America. We, the people, are the governing authorities. We vote for, we hire them to do what we then tell them to do. Not the other way around. Abraham Lincoln said, of the people, by the people, and for the people. For this is the will of God, verse 15, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free yet not using your liberty as a cloak for vice, but a bondservant of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Let me say this is extremely challenging. When the indignities are slammed up against me, when there's a seeming ignorance to really look at the facts or to really look at what's true or to look at our Constitution, to submit to the will of God by doing good, that is a challenging thing. To hold respect, to hold the honor. And yet, if we're going to live in the truth, that's exactly what we seek to do. How does that work? Which takes me to my third word, and it's the word cost. Cost. I make choices every day and all day. Life is a matter of choices. Choices always have a cost. Something other is not chosen. Something other is given up. Something other is decided against. Some choices are no-brainers. But I'll tell you, many choices are brain twisters. That's the challenge. In God, government, and the gospel. That's the challenge. Would you say amen to that heartily? I think we all would. What do I do? How do I handle this? What's the choice? It's a, it's a matter of my conscience towards God in determining what is commendable to God. But not just for me. That's where it's first and foremost. But not just for me because we do not make choices in a vacuum. Our choices affect other people. What I do, I'm never doing in a vacuum. It's always when I make a choice. Now, that becomes even more critical when I'm a dad. And as a dad, my choices have a, 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 we're talking big impact on my children. It becomes more important as a granddad. Still to my sons or my daughter, dad, but to my grandchildren. So, when I make choices, that's what life is. It's a matter of choices. And as I make those choices, I'm trying to do that in such a way that it's good for those who will be impacted as, as my, well as myself. Listen, there are no pat answers. Now, we might have used to think there was. In fact, we had all the answers as far as parenting when we were being parented. I just want to say, you who have never had children, 
I would say be really careful because you have no idea. <laughs> you have no idea what it is to parent because you've never done it. And some of us say, wish we never had to do it. <laughs> I'll tell you what this does for me. It makes me desperate for God. Really. It makes me desperate for God. It makes me desperate that God will guide me and shine his light and help me. And many times my problems arise when I don't give God time enough. I sort of want to rush the process. But God's not in a hurry. It says, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering how? Wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. So it may be that I will be treated harshly. What would you have me to do, God? It may be that I'll have to suffer wrongfully. What would you have me to do, God? It may be that I'll do good and still suffer. What would you have me to do, God? See, this is the, the desperateness in my heart for God. Because there are no pat answers. Nothing easy. It's difficult to clarify. But listen, I love this. It is in these real life choices, these life as it really is, all of its difficulties, that's when it gets intimately personal between me and God. That's what happens. How amazing is that? How good is that? How pure is that? How wonderful that, sh that is what th what's going on. So he says, for to this you were called because what? Christ also suffered for us. Leave us example that we should follow in his steps. Who, here it is, who committed no sin. Nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not sin, he did not threaten, but what? Committed himself to him who judges righteousness. Jesus went to the cross for you and for me. That's what happened. He committed his, himself to him who judges righteousness. He knew what he was doing for us. So he goes on to say, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That's what was happening there at the cross. That we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. All because of the cross. By, listen, by whose stripes you are healed. I believe that speaks spiritually of the gospel. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer. He started the passage with the soul. He ends it with the soul. So I want to close with a question. 
And this is in light of the things that we're facing today as far as God and government. Much of what we Christians are arguing and dividing over are non-essential when it comes to the gospel. So here's my question. Can we get our hearts refocused on the gospel? Please. Can we just move our attention back to the gospel and the cross? And to be clear, I am not suggesting that these other things are unimportant. They are. Very important. They're important as to our conscience. We must give ourselves to understanding them in the light of a good conscience toward God. We need to give ourselves to examining, having our own consciences cleansed and get back to serving God. They're important as far as our constitution. We must give ourselves to fight and upholding this God-given document that secures our freedoms and keeps us from tyranny. Our constitution is under unprecedented attack and is in great jeopardy. That's the truth. The First Amendment, we're seeing blatant censorship of the Christian voice. It's no longer subtle. It's blatant. So our Christian faith in the government is important. This are, is just one among many, among many freedoms that are under attack to pull them down, topple them, and be done with them. We, in fact, let me, let me, the other thing, the cost. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, what is happening in some of the offices of our governing institution is earthly, sensual, and demonic. That's the truth. They're writing bills that are being paid with the destruction of marriage and family, the parading of sexual perversions, the legalizing of murder in the womb, the evil indoctrination of the, and of the minds of our littlest children, the criminalizing of the truths of the Bible, and so it goes. I'm not saying these are not important. They're very important. And all this is happening in one nation under God. I'm deeply concerned for that. But thankfully, listen, this is not a doomsday assessment. Yesterday in our hour of prayer, I was sharing with them. In America, we have millions of believers, sincere believers, who are praying for God to bring his mercy and grace to bear on what is going on. And I have to take hope in that. I believe, I'm, ho I'm hopeful that God awakens us, awakens his people, that he sends an awakening revival. I'm praying for that. I'm praying for that. I don't like the word revival a whole lot because when, when the, that word is just like, oh, woo, woo, woo. No, revival comes through brokenness. 
Revival comes to understanding there are some things here that are really important, and if they're being attacked, we are the ones who are going to pay for the pay, and we are paying. I'm praying, God, bring awake an awakening. But here's my question this morning. Can we refocus our hearts on the gospel? Beloved, he says, verse 11, I, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, we know what that is, a little better now, or a little worse, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Can we get our hearts refocused on the gospel? That day of visitation is at least in part, if not in full. That day, listen, that day when Jesus visits the unbeliever and because of your witness, because of how you are living your life, that unbeliever becomes a believer. That sinner invites Jesus into his or her heart. That sheep is back in the fold. That's what happens. And it happens through the gospel. And so I've done my best this morning to bring to you a difficult topic. I've offered these three words in hopes they'll help us as the church to gain unity in our hearts as to God, government, and the gospel. I'm asking God for humility of mind and patience of love. I'm knowing that he's allowed these things for our growth and our good and his glory. And so can we this morning get our hearts refocused on the gospel. It's not the great conscience. It's not the great constitution. It's not even the great cost. It's the great commission. That's what Jesus said. Go and preach the gospel to every creature. And those who believe will be saved and those who do not will be damned. We have the message of the power of God unto salvation. So in closing this morning, would you bow your hearts before the Lord, your head? I'm just going to ask a couple questions. Share a couple things just so we might take this message a little bit home to our hearts. It's time, my brothers and sisters, in Christ, to get our hearts refocused on the gospel. It's time. It's time, my brothers and sisters in Christ, to stop being ashamed of the gospel. It's time, brothers and sisters in Christ, to start boldly sharing the gospel. Holy Spirit, search our hearts. The gospel says it is time to get past ourselves and get our eyes on Jesus. The gospel says it's time to get past what people might think about you and live for Christ. 
It's time for me and time for you to get past my petty arguments. To get past my pointless positions. To get past my powerless opinions. And get back to, to the gospel. The power of God and salvation. The gospel says this is no time to be wasting time on lesser things. So as the worship team comes out, as our heads are bowed, we're just before the Lord. And God, I pray for myself. Bring my heart to you. We bring our church to you. And Lord, you know all the stuff that's been going on, the divisions, the arguments, just so many things. And that, Lord, what you commissioned your disciples when you left is to preach the gospel. And, Lord, we want to have our hearts full of what you've accomplished for us on the cross, full of thanksgiving and praise for what we have received. And then, Lord, we want to be able to take those things and sort of let them begin to change our lives and our conscience and understanding government and being willing to pay the price. But, Lord, all to the desire we have to be your ambassadors, your messengers, your witnesses, to the greatest news that ever and ever will come to this earth, and that is the gospel. It's the power of God and salvation to everyone who believes, Jew first and also the Greek. So, Lord, forgive us when we're, we're sort of shirking that responsibility. Forgive us, Lord, for being timid. Forgive us, and Lord, help us. I pray, help us as we take in the word and as we're continuing to think through some of these things that are going on, that it would draw us, first of all, close to you, and then, Lord, our hearts would be focused on the gospel, that others may know you, may understand what you've done, and then they themselves will become the ambassadors. They themselves will become your messengers. And, Lord, also, as we're, as we're just closing here, many of us in this room, if not all of us, have even in our very families, people that are right now dead in their trespasses and sins. So, Lord, I would add to our list here, help us, Lord, to be those who are faithfully praying and interceding that you would draw them to yourself, that you would convict them of sin and righteousness and judgment, that they would come to Jesus, the, the one who died for them and loves them, and they'd receive that through their repentance and faith in the gospel. And, Lord, we're praying for that, even this morning out in the lobby, Lord, that we were just praying together for, for, for people that we know need you. So hear our cry, Lord. Receive this final word, that we're, this final song that we're going to sing together. That, Lord, in all things, you would have your way in our lives. Please, in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?